everyone, and welcome back to Politics Under the Microscope. My name is Ellie, a second year graduate student at Rockefeller University, and today we'll be doing a hot second hot take, where each of us go around and essentially rant about something that has been on our mind um, for the past week or so. And so, Naira, how about you get us started? Hello. Um, it's really interesting because in the last week we saw a lot of heated discussion and honestly just a whole lot of sadness about the idea that um, a paid parental leave policy is being removed um, from the most recent agenda that, that Congress had to vote on. Um, and I think one Instagram post that really resonated with me was this MD describing that, you know, as a healthcare worker, she doesn't get the luxury of paid parental leave, um, even though she contributes, you know, a lot to society. Um, and she's sacrificed so much uh, to, to be in her position. And she's describing like the grueling and, and difficult, you know, condition that any woman is in postpartum. And it isn't okay to make people, and in some cases, people really are forced to go back to work, especially if they're single mothers in that condition. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll leave you to Google the details, <laughs> but one interesting parallel that's been drawn um, as we're trying to look at economic recovery from the pandemic is the labor shortage and how 4.3 million um, people haven't gone back to work. Uh, since since the pandemic started um, and is hopefully drawing to a close. And those 4.3 million are overrepresentedly women, minorities, people of color, people that are disproportionately affected by the by the pandemic, not just from an economic standpoint, but because these people don't have access to childcare. Um, they don't have that government support. They don't have universal health care. They don't have paid parental leave. So they actually can't afford to go back to work, oddly. Um, so I want you, if you could just take away one thing from my mini rant, is that, you know, everything is connected. When we talk about progressive issues um, that maybe seem like they're too good to be true, or maybe you might even just disagree that, you know, maybe you think we could solve all of these problems locally and each individual business, you know, can do their thing and figure it out and give people benefits, but not everybody can handle it after, especially after a whole pandemic. Um, and all of the phenomena that we're seeing in society, um, whether those are economic or social in nature are all very interconnected. Um, and yeah, I encourage you to go out and explore and discover, but that was, that was my take. Maybe. Isn't the U.S. one of the few developed nations in the world that doesn't provide paid parental leave? It might be the only. For, for <laughs> at, like a minimum, like, yeah. what is it, 12 weeks or, or something mm -hmm. like that? I think all other, like especially European countries, provide um, both... Um, paternal and maternal yes. paid leave. And so it uh, this country is very interesting how it works sometimes. Yeah, because it's like that with healthcare as well. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, the US just likes to like be different. <laughs> Yeah, they're like the I'm not like the other girls um, country. I'm <laughs> not you know? like the other girls. You, you know what I mean, right? Like yeah. you guys use Fahrenheit and not Celsius, like the rest and of the feet, world. And 
Yeah, exactly. And then no, uh, no public health care, no paid parental leave. Uh, <laughs> I think in, in the world in the world of politics and sociology, I think it's called American exceptionalism. Yes, <laughs> Nina, please yes. correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but and give us your hot take. Yes, that's also another <laughs> important part. Just finishing up the thing about maternity leave. In fairness, I feel like that, along with so many other policies, I feel like there are so many ways that you can definitely tell the United States is like a patchwork nation, right? But into my hot take, so it's actually very specific, and it came from a very specific conversation that I had and I was really really upset about it honestly and it it's a very some people might call it a first world problem but you guys stay with me on this um I really hate when people call themselves snobs when they just mean that they're picky and I know that that sounds like a ridiculous thing to say right but you guys have no idea the number of people that I've met that are like I'm such a wine snob which is actually what this is inspired by so for context whether you're like a listener or obviously one of my co-hosts, my dad, super passionate about wine. I hate wine. Everything I know about it came from my dad. And honestly, I don't know as much as he does. And I'm totally fine being completely ignorant, right? And do you mean huh? like a wine connoisseur? I, I mean, I guess you can call the man that, but he's actually like made like pumpkin wine and it's homemade. I have not tried it. Um, so everything that I've really learned has come from him or it's come from like my mom because they both like wine, I do not. So it always sends you over the edge when somebody's like, you know, I'm a wine snob, which is really what happened not that long ago. And it sent me over the edge because I'm just like, what you really mean is you don't drink Franzia, all right? That's all you <laughs> mean. It is not that you are a connoisseur because I can guarantee if I ask you, you don't know the difference between a Bordeaux and a Beaujolais. I can guarantee you don't have strong feelings about Chateau Pitsruth. You just don't, okay? There is no way you're planning a cheese board or you're planning charcuterie and you're like, okay, this is what we're going to have. This is what we're not going to have. And it's like the person in question, I can remember, they didn't even know the port was like a dessert wine. And I'm just, it sent me over the edge because I understand that's very, very first world. But I'm like, if I was going to say that I was a snob about something, I would know something about it, right? Like for me, my favorite condiment is mustard. All right, growing up, there were never less than four different kinds of mustard in our fridge. I have like three kinds in my fridge right now. I, but I don't call myself a mustard snob. I am picky about mustard, but at the exact same time, if I show up to your function and you only have what is that French's yellow, I'm still going to eat it on whatever, even if I have my preferences and that's not what it is. Are there kinds of mustards that I think really shine if you have like pretzels or whatever? Yes, but I am telling you right now, if you have a soft pretzel, while I know that I would prefer like horseradish mustard, honestly, that's like small batch or like German mustard. I'm going to eat it if you have Walmart brand Dijon mustard, truthfully, because I just like mustard. It's that simple. And it just, it makes me so upset to hear people like call themselves snobs when you really just mean you're picky or you have preferences. And it's like, maybe it's because saying picky makes it sound like you're like six years old and you have like the taste buds of like a kindergartner. But I would rather hear that than I'm a snob, but I don't know the basics about the thing that I'm being snobby about. And that's my hot take. Mm -hmm. It's very specific. I, love that. I would never say that I'm a stationary snob. Like, like I just, I'm very, very particular about stationary, but I wouldn't call myself a snob about it. So like, what would I feel like that's such a negative thing to call yourself too. It is. It's a bad connotation. Sorry, go ahead, Naira. I mean, first of all, 
I mean, Nina, as, as someone that is also picky about mustard, we avoid the yellow Frenchies at all costs. Okay. <laughs> I don't care if it's the end of the world. All right. We, we ain't eating that. But we love our listeners who eat French's <laughs> yellow mustard. Yes. If I, you put I, it I, in I your don't... Carolina gold, you're still valid. I think that honestly is the one that works best for that occasion. Even though personally, yeah. I know I lean towards certain other mustards. Go ahead, Naira. No, it's, it's literally fine. But yeah. And, and the other thing is, I mean, sometimes you know I, I like how you know passionate you are about this and honestly sometimes our understanding of a word or what a word means and when to use it it is incredibly heterogeneous I mean <laughs> it's it's like what you were taught growing up and the types of people that you hung around when you were younger and it's like that's how you kind of learn to use what words and in my head right like, yeah, from a technical standpoint, your, your argument makes sense. But it's also like, let's take it easy on people. <laughs> like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really, you know, like, you know, make someone feel like they've, you know, made a, a terrible mistake or by saying like one word over the other. Of course, you know, and there's, there's situations where there's some things that should not be said. Right. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, giving people that that grace if they actually don't know <laughs> or they weren't aware that they're not supposed to say one thing or the other but yeah you know that is not my problem because i agree there should be grace and space for everyone but if you ever believe that you are an authority on something and you use the word snob because you believe that you know better than other people i expect you to know what you're talking about can you call yourself a snob i don't prefer mm. it but totally fine but if you say it in I think if you say it in reference to someone else to almost sort of exert some superiority, like, I don't drink that, I don't eat that, I don't do that because I'm a snob okay. about whatever, then I do expect you, because that's the context mm. of this, I do expect you to be able to back that up. I expect you, if you're buying sparkling wine, to know that rather than buy two Magnums, you could just buy a Jeroboam, right? If your store sells it and you should know the terminology. I expect you to know that, not to sit here and call yourself that. Um, and elevate yourself in a sense, that's specifically where this is coming from. And I apologize. I want to make it very clear to our listeners, I'm not dragging you if you call yourself a snob because you don't know better or just because you like something. As long as you're yeah. not stating that you're better than someone else. Mm -hmm. So it's less about word choice and more about credibility. Um, yes. And you're absolutely right. Like, I, I, I dabble in politics. I'm not like in, in completely knowledgeable, right? It's like, it's funny because... <laughs> If when you give yourself a platform, for example, like a podcast like this one, right, you sometimes people, you know, think like, oh, they must be an expert on X, Y or, or Z. I mean, even even when I get my PhD and when we do collectively, God willing, right, on whatever subfield, we wouldn't actually be able to constantly say we're total experts in, in the field, right, because our our specialty and, and the subfield we've studied is like so so narrow and so specific like yes we've put in a lot of work on educating ourselves but it's like you you can't be called expert unless you spend like 20 years in the field as a professor you know what i'm saying like those are experts um we just we're just good at doing research and like connecting multiple pieces together and that's where we and because we're trained as researchers I think that's where we extract our credibility from because we're being trained at very, you know, well-regarded institutions. But it's very interesting, like exploring the idea of credibility and, and where that comes from sort of beyond like 
what do you need to be credible? Do you need a PhD or do you need to be someone that's like doing honest to God work and like and not trying to fool people? What where does that come from? Joanna, do you have any strong opinions? No, not on mustard and wine. What <laughs> <laughs> about credibility? Oh, well, I've got to say, on opinion. I think it's actually pretty controversial. So, disclaimer. Um, so, on Twitter, a couple weeks ago, because I've been thinking about this for a long time, I found this tweet that was basically that got a lot of support with a minority like pushback. I'm in the minority. It said, like. Please stop speaking other languages other than English in the laboratory space. Like it's very rude to you need to try to speak the language that people can understand you, especially when someone is in the vicinity. I disagree. Like, and my lab has like speaks at least three other languages regularly than English, and I don't feel any anger or discontent at not knowing what they're saying. Like I don't know how you guys feel about this, but if you speak English as your primary language <clears throat> and someone else is speaking a different language, I'm sorry, but you don't have any authority to be like, "Hey, speak my language." Like it just that just doesn't make sense to me. And if you want to understand what they're saying, which seems like your goal, how about you learn the language? You know, how about you educate yourself instead of make someone to conform to what how you live your life? Uh, the majority said, like, agreed that you should be speaking. Yes, because、English. they think it's rude.、Oh, they think it's rude when you can speak English and just choose not to,、um, especially when an English speaker is in the room. And you know, I think the assumption is that they're talking about you or that they're saying something, you know, that you can't understand、uh, for, for like your disadvantage or something along those lines. That's interesting because in my experience, usually, like I've been in labs where if they were speaking a foreign language, as soon as like I came into their vicinity, they would just stop talking just to be polite about, and then like switch back to like English when when they like see me or something. But I would think that it's like okay, right? Just because I think some things are just a lot easier. It's like it just comes more naturally to you when you're speaking in your native language, and if the other person speaks your native language, it's a lot easier to communicate your thoughts. Whereas I think, you know, you have to go through this additional like translation、uh, barrier in your brain before you talk out loud.、Um, I think for like lab meetings, like sure, like if there are people who are. Like part of your conversation,、um, sure. Like speak English, but if it's just a conversation between two people, I don't know why you have to know what other people are talking about in lab. Yeah, no. Like I think, like in lab meeting, if you guys are having a big discussion at the table, and then two people start speaking, you know, just in, in their language that other people can't understand, I think that's that I wouldn't be, you know, okay with because that means that you're directly excluding other people that are supposed to be part of that discussion. But when it comes to two people, like I speak Spanish proficiently, and so I wanted to practice with Spanish speakers in my lab. And so when I saw this tweet, I was like, "Am I not allowed to do that simply because you want to understand what I'm saying 100 of the time?" Like I just think this is such this is so strange. 
Um, and you know, first of all, first First Amendment rights. Like I, I can speak. It's it's you know, this is just kind of ridiculous. Um, but yeah, that that's my hot take. Apparently, I'm in the minority though. So that's I, interesting. I don't even think it's a hot take. I think it's just it fine. is. It's a very hot take. It's but like, it's just like to me, I would feel like yeah, it's no big deal. I don't understand why people are talking about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think it's also very like individualistic. Like it doesn't not everything is about you, dude. Like get over yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Like and the other thing is when people choose at least in the all of the contexts I've seen when people choose to speak in a different language in an English speaking space, it's to connect better. It's very rarely to talk about someone behind their back. Like you're in you're at work. Like you're getting paid by the hour not to talk crap about people. You're there to you know, discuss science and 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 move forward with your your projects, right? So, if speaking a different language with your mentor or your colleague makes that easier for you because you you come from a different country and it's just easier for you, like it gets it helps you get your job done. So, I don't see what the problem. Honestly, can you imagine wanting to mind other people's business so much that you have a strong opinion on this? Like, I can't. It just makes no sense to me. I feel like I mind my business too much to actually care. I could not care less what you're speaking if we're working together. That's fantastic. Speak whatever you think best in, right? Like Joanna brings up a good point. Like whenever you're thinking about it and processing it, there are plenty of people who grow up bilingual, right? Where at home they're translating one language potentially for their parents. So like I can't imagine minding anybody's business or wanting to mind anybody's business enough for this to be like, I don't want you speaking this while we're working together. Also, I feel like if you were like shit talking someone, you wouldn't be even in a different language. You wouldn't be doing it in the lab space. Like, I think you would go somewhere else to shit talk. (laughs) Imagine talking behind someone's back while they're right there, even if it is in a different language. That's some kind of courage you got. Like, I wouldn't do that. that, What did they understand? The the TikTok trend that that was going around a lot last summer or something where it was like, tell me about a time where someone was speaking about you in a different language, but they didn't know that you understood everything. Don't do that. No, you never know what language, what second language they they speak. But it's kind of funny because I remember like um there was like a bunch of like um chinese texts in like the um like the i guess the floor that i worked in back when i was in undergrad and it was so funny because i would like hear all their like crazy stories um and then i would just sit beside them like eating lunch and they would have like no idea that i was just listening in and hearing their conversation um (laughs) but yeah I don't know. I think it's fine. I I, I know, it was just I just was so surprised when I realized going through the Twitter thread that I was in the minority opinion. Like it was just kind of um, crazy. Well, to me. I mean the internet is just like an echo chamber anyways. Like I feel like if there was like five people who had the same opinion, it was just amplified in that thread. I don't know. Sure, but like, like, it, uh, the fact that it's even a thing, it's just kind of I can't believe to it's me. a thing. And I just don't, the bottom <laughs> line is that don't make assumptions about people uh, and what language they can or cannot speak and, and don't talk about people when they're right there, regardless of if you think they understand or not. And let people embrace and practice their own culture or tradition or whatever they do.
All right, that's a wrap, friends, on round two of our hot second hot take. We'll be back next time with more controversial opinions, so stay tuned.